This time last week, Liverpool would have been fearful of taking on champions Manchester City, but a timely midweek Champions League victory against Rangers has given the Reds the belief they might need in order to cut into City's lead at the top of the Premier League table this weekend. City were held scoreless in Copenhagen, but will nonetheless progress in Europe and are now favourites to win the Champions League outright. The absence of Erling Haaland was felt in Denmark, but he will be surely back in the starting lineup this Sunday. Arsenal, meanwhile, are the closest thing that City have to a challenger, but they face a tricky tie this weekend as well. Elsewhere, Kylian Mbappe found himself back in the headlines yet again as a result of a report which suggests he feels betrayed by Paris Saint-Germain just five months on after signing a blockbuster new contract. To discuss all of this and more, Anita Abayomi and myself, Peter Staunton, are joined on this episode of Football Digest by Alex Brotherton, Man City writer for the MEN. First, Alex, let's get on to the topic of Manchester City and the Champions League. No Holland, no party, no? Yeah, it was... um... Probably not the game most people, City fans or kind of neutrals alike, were, were expecting, especially after the 5 0 sort of demolition of Copenhagen the week before. But as you say, Erling Haaland stayed on the bench uh, for the whole game, uh, didn't come on, even though, you know, I think everyone expected at some point he would come on. Uh, and in the end, City just couldn't really find a way through. Uh, I'm sure we'll we'll get into the ins and outs of that game and the sort of the things that went against City and the things that sort of went in their favour. But in the end, it was. Um, it was sort of a, a job sort of well done, I think, to, to get the nil-nil draw playing with 10 men for so long. And in the end, it didn't really matter too much because they did uh, reach the next round of the Champions League. But yeah, a bit of a surprise, but hopefully we'll we'll see him back this weekend because it feels weird not talking about another Haaland hat-trick, doesn't it? It um, feels like we're back to football pre-Haaland and it's uh, I, don't, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, I just want to ask, right? So obviously Haaland didn't play, we've got that out of the way, but do you think that this is kind of foreshadowing how the team will kind of set up when Haaland's not there and kind of how they might struggle against other teams if Haaland's not in the team. Or do you just think it was a red card and that's just that? Um, I think, yeah, no, I think um, it's a bit of both really because I think obviously it foreshadows in the sense that, you know, if we have other games in the future where Haaland's either rested or he's actually injured, or suspended or whatever, then it is probably going to be Julian Alvarez that starts in the in the central striking role, and that's what he did on on Tuesday. Um, but I don't know; it's it's a tricky one. I think it will vary game by game, but there definitely was a sense that you know it's probably too early to say. And I wrote a piece about this, and uh, it's hard to sort of you don't want to get too carried away because it was one game, as you say. City had ten men for an hour, but it did feel like they were just missing Haaland. Um, and that might be a game, you know, it might depend on the game state, that what kind of opposition they're playing. But when they were playing Copenhagen, um, Copenhagen's defensive line wasn't, it wasn't like really high, but it wasn't that deep either. There was definitely space in behind that, you know, had Haaland been on the pitch, you'd expect him to make at least one sort of, you know, one of those surging runs in behind, um, which Alvarez just doesn't really do as much. Um and the way that Copenhagen set up, there was very little space between their defense, defensive line and sort of midfield. So the way City were going about it was kind of how we saw City last season where they didn't have an out-and-out striker. Instead, they had like an extra midfielder on the pitch in the false nine. So they would play these intricate sort of passing moves between the lines, trying to find the space, moving the defense across to try and create that gap. And obviously they were doing that with a striker on the pitch with 10 men and it just didn't really work because Copenhagen didn't give much space to do it. Um, mm. So I think it was the kind of game where they would have benefited from having Haaland because I think sometimes, you know, they have, it's, I don't want to say they've, they've come to rely on him already, 
but it's the kind of game where the maybe after an hour they could have gone all right we're not really creating the space we need here to pick apart copenhagen with these like intricate sort of minute detail moves we're just going to put a cross in and hope that harlan gets his head on it or play a ball in behind and harlan's going to run to it but they didn't have that option uh but they did but they just didn't use it um so yeah i think they'll have to find ways for next time they don't have harland whether that's because he's injured or because they want to rest him um they'll have to find ways to break teams down but it might not be that they always struggle like that because you know what city were the top scorers in the premier league last season 100 goals didn't have early harland they've won four premier leagues under pep without early harland so it's um it's not like you know it's going to be impossible every time harland's not there but in this game it really felt like he could have done with him coming on but you know Guardiola ex- explained afterwards that he just needed a rest and it wasn't worth the risk. And in the end, it's probably the right call. Yeah, he's probably, you know, throughout his time at Dortmund, he probably played too many matches uh, one after the other. It ended up giving him a sort of a heavy load and, and he wasn't always fit for Dortmund. So I suppose if you can af- if you can afford to leave him out in, in these lower stakes games, uh, the ones where a draw will get you through, for example, then you should probably take that advantage because you don't want to you don't want to flog him. Um, you know, really too hard at this stage, um, especially when there's still plenty of titles to be fought for. Yeah, exactly. And and obviously City had set up to, you know, win the game. It wasn't like they were playing for a draw. I mean, if you're playing for a draw, you don't bring on Phil Foden and, and Bernardo Silva in the second half, who were two other players that Pep said after the game didn't start because they were just so tired after the Southampton match and didn't recover particularly well. Um but, but yeah, a draw was enough in the end. It turned out because Dortmund and Sevilla drew nil, uh, 1-1 uh, later in the evening. So, um, so yeah, it's kind of worked out pretty well. Um, you know, if they brought him on and then it maybe put his place... I mean, hopefully he's, he's okay and recovered for Liverpool on, on Sunday. But if he'd come on, then that would have maybe put that in a bit of jeopardy. And then for what, you know... Did, it wouldn't have mattered if City had won or drawn in the end. So it's it has played out quite well, I feel. But um, but yeah, this as you say, you, you don't want another situation um, where he's playing every like every single game. Um, and as Pep's like referenced, his his physical condition has been a lot better this season than it was um, last year. Which is Pep's been keen to put praise the sort of physios and the backroom staff a lot in the last few weeks. Um, particularly when that story came out of the, the physio going with Haaland uh, on international duty to Norway. Um, but it's also probably, you know, we've seen him substituted off a couple of times. We've seen him obviously now sit out an entire game. So Guardiola's got a role to play as well in um, in keeping his um, sort of new weapon in, in pristine condition. And if that's what it takes to do it, then then fair enough. I feel like he's he's still been in the news this week, Haaland, even though he's, you know, he only scored a one, I think, against Southampton. And, obviously didn't play against uh, against Copenhagen at all for two reasons. One is that well, he's seemingly been walking into butcher shops around Manchester demanding bags of animal innards uh, that he can eat raw for dinner or something like that. And the other one is, obviously, there's been there's been two big reports. Uh, we'll get to the... If you could, you know, talk to us about the food situation, that would be interesting, firstly. But the other one I want you to come on to then also, Alex, is story of his contract, which was leaked last week, um, allegedly on something approaching £900,000 a week. Uh, you know, if you're a, a mathematician, you're looking at, <laughs> you know, that's uh, 34 million quid a month. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also, the release clause, which seems to have 
come out about his contract as well. That there's seemingly a 200 million pound release clause that could be activated as soon as 2024, which means you know we're two months on from the start of 2023. Man City fans are not going to have very long really to to get to know and love Erling Haaland, are they? Wait, start with the food. Let's talk about yeah, this. Yeah, let's talk about the food. Because yeah. what is going um, on? Is that actually a real story? Are these things real? Because I read them. I was like, oh, just another rumor. But if that's real, we, I need a serious conversation with him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've I've got to be brutally honest. I've not really heard that. I don't know how I've missed this, but I, I, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's kind it's of gone league. over my head. It's um, a trailer from from the, from his documentary about his move yeah. to Manchester City, and it's talking about what he likes <laughs> to add into his diet. And it's you know like it's kidneys, it's livers, it's hearts, it's the innards mm. really, rather than like mm. you know the prime cuts of meat. And he takes I've seen I've seen stuff about him consuming like six thousand calories a day and eating lots of lasagna and uh, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. But I've um, yeah, I mean. Fair enough. I'm not a particular big fan of like offal and, and that kind of stuff. But if <laughs> if 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 Erling Haaland, if that's what's going to keep him scoring goals, if he wants to, you know, I'll go and buy him some livers and kidneys if he wants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Was it um, Luis Figo had a pig's head chucked at him on yeah, the field at, yeah. at Barcelona? Um, maybe maybe Man City yeah. fans could chuck uh, animal parts at at Haaland as he's well if he's if he's having a game where he's not scoring. Just oh, he, he clearly needs more. Needs more, um, more needs a bit of a snack. Just chuck a, <laughs> chuck a liver or a, a heart at him or something. Just scrum it and then carry on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> right. you know. um, um, yeah, but... Yeah, so contract. This, this contract hmm. seems outlandish, to say the least. So the details that were picked up on in this report were that, you know, on a basic wage, it's only, let's say only, about £300,000 a week or so. Or that, that would put him in line with what Kevin De Bruyne is earning and the other top earners at Manchester City. But that's then topped up with these guaranteed bonuses, which means that his weekly wage, his monthly wage, his annual wage is stupendously bigger than any other deal that we've ever seen in the Premier League before. Yeah, um, obviously this report came out, but it's it's. I mean, we we at the at the Manchester the news we 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 don't understand that necessarily to to be that large. Um, obviously, he is like one of the. Um, he's either like the top or top earner at the club, or he's only maybe slightly behind Kevin De Bruyne. It's obviously is around the sort of three hundred and fifty, three hundred and seventy thousand uh, pounds a week uh, mark, but. I mean, that we haven't got any sort of definitive uh, concrete figures on all these bonuses and, you know, incentives and that kind of thing. But it's probably pretty pretty certain there are quite a lot of those in there. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if um, some of them were sort of goal incentives and he's already kind of perhaps smashing them a bit earlier than people expected. Because I don't think anyone, even at City, within the club or Guardiola would have thought, he would have scored 20 goals already in what 13, 12, 13 appearances. Um, so yeah, it's he is clearly like one of the highest earning footballers in the world um, at City in the Premier League. Um, but you know, obviously there, a lot was made about the the, the price that, that Haaland was going to cost when he came to City. Uh, obviously, the, they've been able to sort of offer well, firstly the the, the wages and then also the um, the fees to to the agent the agent fees and and to his dad as well. Be uh, primarily because the transfer fee was a lot lower than perhaps you'd expect to play pay for a player of his caliber. So um, you know, if the transfer fee was was say 150 million, I don't think that the transfer might not have been feasible at all when you when you add all these extra fees and costs into it. Um, but you know, City deemed it you know 
sort of necessary uh, kind of something they were willing to do uh, and it's more than paying off so yeah it's fair play it's more more money in his pocket to go and buy his stupidly big um, diet no. I guess <laughs> yeah, Lord knows how much intestines, livers, kidneys, all of that crap. Lord knows how much it costs. But talk to us a bit about the release clause. What's what's the deal about that? Because I I've literally not been feeling well since Monday. I've literally been out of the loop. So what's happening with the release clause? Is is there something that says that he'll be gone by twenty twenty three? What's going on? All right, so the the release clause, um, which the news was was broke on Tuesday morning, I think, um, and it's basically that there obviously in the weeks preceding there'd been some rumours that there was a Real Madrid specific clause in his contract, something like you know Real Madrid can have like a certain price for him in a, in a year or two or something like that. That's not the case. The release clause is two hundred million euros. Um, which is about 175.5 million pounds, I think it is. Um, and that'll be basically, that'll become active in the summer of 2024. So not next summer, but summer after. Um, but it's not Real Madrid specific. The only sort of clause of that or um, sort of terms with that is that it can't be activated by a Premier League club. It's a non-Premier League. So basically, it's 200 million euros in 2024. Um, his current city contract runs till 2027 and every sort of year after 2024, it will decrease. Now we don't know what the actual figures are that it decreases or by how much it decreases each time. All we know is that it's 200 million euros in 2024. And obviously if he stays longer, it'll go down each year. So, you know, it could be activated by Real Madrid, could be activated by Bayern Munich, uh, Juventus, PSG, well, probably PSG are the only people that, or maybe them or Real Madrid could afford him. But um, unfortunately for you, Anita, he, he, it can't be activated by Chelsea, um, which is, yeah, I mean, I think I, I was writing about this yesterday, actually, but um, I think release clause and specifically with Haaland, it's something that City fans have been a bit worried about ever since he sort of arrived because it was almost, you know, We've signed Haaland and everyone, there was all these sort of voices going, oh, release clause, Real Madrid are going to come in a year or two. Um, and it is kind of a scary term. But if you think about it, it's not actually any different from how City already conduct their transfer business. Um, because as we know, you know, Pep Guardiola has made it very clear um, to, to City players, you know, if you want to leave, you're free to do so as long as you bring in a suitable offer. So that's why we saw Raheem Sterling go to Chelsea um, that's why we saw Gabriel Jesus go to Arsenal, Ferran Torres go to Barcelona. Um, they, you know, they wanted to go and they brought in offers that City were like, yeah, that's fair enough, you can go now. Um, so if, I, if, a, if there was no clause in Haaland's contract and he'd said in 2024, okay, I want to leave, it would have been the same situation. It's like, okay, well, we, we don't want you to leave, but we're going to let you. And if you bring in the right offer, you can go. And, you know, probably £175 million is, you know, it's probably the kind of I can't imagine they would have asked for much more than that because then you just Alex, that is cheap. I was thinking that's for early, cheap. For Erling mm. Haaland, that is unbelievable. You, cheap. You, that, you don't know who else would afford the two hundred million. Every team in the world will scrap up the two hundred million. <laughs> You think Paris Saint-Germain in 2017 paid 222 million euros for Neymar. Uh, Barcelona followed that shortly after by paying something like 150 for for Philip Coutinho. These sums are out there. If you're telling Mm, me I can have Haaland for 15 million more than than Barcelona paid for Coutinho, I'm all over that. That that is a cheap deal. Cheap deal. Mm. 
obviously I but, can't be all over it because I'm a Chelsea fan and that clause is very cheeky. But go on, Alex, you were saying. <laughs> but you've but you got to factor in that if it had just if there was no clause and Harlan said I want to go, and then it had come down to like a negotiation kind of thing, you know, City City wanted more than forty. What was it? Forty-seven point five million for Raheem Sterling, but that's where the negotiations ended up. So you know, it's like you can never. You can never always get exactly how much you want. You've got to meet the other sort of team in the middle. So, like, you know, maybe City would have asked for 250 million or something for Haaland, but are they actually going to get that? I don't know. Because at the end of the day, it's got to be a fee that teams are able to buy. Because the worst case scenario would would that would be that City have to keep him and Guardiola has a player in his squad that doesn't want to be there. And that's the last thing that Guardiola and City want players that don't want to be there. So they would maybe have just ended up selling for that even less than that or around that anyway, if no one else was going to sort of stump up the cash. And especially when there'll be probably, well, there'd be mega wages, maybe even more than he's already earning at City. Um, and there'll probably be fees similar to the fees that were involved, like the agent fees um, in his deal from Dortmund to City. So um, and I think actually in a way, this like this specific clause might actually be better than no clause at all because it does rule out him going to a direct Premier League rival and Chelsea were probably the only Premier League team that I feel like could have sort of got a deal together. Um, so, But now it's pretty much looking impossible for Chelsea to do that. So in a way, it's probably better that at least if he does want to go without the clause, there was a chance maybe he could go to Chelsea if they came in. You know, in an ideal world, City wouldn't have sold Sterling to a direct title rival. They wouldn't have sold Jesus to Arsenal, but those were the teams that came in with suitable offers and there weren't any more. So they kind of sort of had to they either had to or kept a player that didn't want to be there and go against their word of you can go if you want to go. Um, so now they've kind of protected themselves against that while still sticking to their word of, if you want to go, you can go, but we're going to get this price and this is the price we're happy with. So I don't know, in my opinion, it's sort of a pretty good situation for City, but um, I can understand why like some fans are kind of like, Oh, release clause. That's, that that sounds a bit, you know, he could just sort of go in a, a drop of a hat, but in a way that could could happen to any player, really. Do you know, I love how City fans are so calm with this. Absolutely fine. <laughs> if it was me, I'd be going ballistic, but you make extremely valid points there. You don't want to keep a player who potentially wouldn't want to stay after 2024 anyway. I hear it with I hear it with Manchester City in particular, because like you said, Raheem Sterling to Chelsea and also Gabby Jesus, who are now kind of your Premier League rivals at the moment, your title challengers. He's now at Arsenal and we'll come to the Premier League. But before we go there, we've got to talk about Liverpool last night and Mohamed Salah and his crazy hat-trick. What was it? Six minutes and 30-something seconds. The quickest hat-trick in Champions League history. He comes off off the bench. He probably read everyone's tweets, everyone's comments on Facebook and Instagram and said, you know what? I'm going to show you guys. Yeah, literally. <laughs> they literally, literally read all of them and said, yeah, I'm going to show you guys I'm still about this life. Yeah, I'm going to score a hat-trick and see what you guys are saying after that. Scored an amazing hat-trick last night. Alex, is this something you're worried about? Because you played them over the weekend and Salah was rested, so he's definitely going to be um, an option for Jurgen Klopp come Sunday night. Yeah, um, it would have been nice had he sort of carried on his kind of, you know, subpar form in the midweek <laughs> going into this game. But now he's, as you say, you know, he's, it was never going to be quiet for long, was he? It's Mo Salah, like, obviously Liverpool aren't, as a collective, aren't playing very well at the minute. But, you know, 
in what three four days before playing City they go and win seven uh, one um, at a stadium that's not very easy to win at never mind win seven <laughs> one um, and to come into a game off the bench and score a hat trick in six minutes like it's that's even more impressive than starting the game and doing it because it's just hard to come into games and get into the rhythm of a game when you've been sat on the bench for most of it. Um, so yeah, it's yeah. Obviously, Salah scored that goal of the season against City at Anfield, um, sort of around this time last year, I think it was, um, where he's just absolutely skinned Shao Cancelo and then yeah, put it in the sort of roof of the net. So hopefully, he doesn't find that kind of form too quickly. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's going to be yeah, it's going to be a really interesting game. Um, probably a bit of a stressful watch, but I mean. I guess from the neutral perspective, you know, everyone's that's not anyone that's not a City fan's probably pretty happy that Salah has gone and done this because you know it'll be more of a spectacle if Salah kind of you know gets back to his best in time for the for the visit of City. But it's it's definitely yeah, I'm hoping Jack and Salah can um, well if it's Cancelo at left back, you never know with with Guardiola and what team he's going to select. But um, whoever's at left back is probably going to have a a tougher task on their hands than maybe they would have done if it, if they played last week, but. Saying that, it's Mo Salah. You never know, like when, you know, when when his sort of performances can end, like because he's just such a good player, and you know, he's you don't you don't um, set like the Premier League goal scoring record uh, for a single season with you know just it's not a one off, is it? We all know how good he is. So it's um, City will definitely have a job on their hands, keeping him quiet on on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Jurgen Klopp said that that this result, this could be the result that sparks their season into life. Really, he said that this is the one that's that's uh, changed the mood around the club. I think after the Arsenal result in particular last week, it looked like Liverpool were sort of going nowhere fast. You add into that, I mean, uh, Trent was hurt. Uh, Luis Diaz is on a really bad injury now, and it just felt that the season was was really really slipping away from them. But you know that result midweek, that new look forward line for Mino Carvalho Nunez. Um, Harvey Elliott as well who got on the score sheet you know Klopp seems to have given his uh, his side he seems to have um, given a little bit of a reboot a little bit of a control alt delete there and started all over again yeah um, yeah they look good um, and very sort of I don't know just as you say rebooted from from the Arsenal game where just kind of the same things went wrong that seemed to have been going wrong all season for them where you know, they're still scoring goals, obviously. It's not to be sniffed at scoring two goals at Arsenal in the, the form that they've been in the start they've had to the season, but defensively just shambolic. Um and you know, I don't it sounds harsh, but it might actually be good for Liverpool that that Trent is gonna miss a few games. And obviously not that he's injured, but you know, he has had a really sort of poor start to the season. I don't think I mean, I know there's always been slight question marks about his defensive abilities and yeah, he and he is one of like the best attacking fullbacks you could probably even sort of compare him to some midfielders he's that good on the ball but defensively this season he's switched off so many times and just sort of taken up strange positions um but yeah um I don't know maybe perhaps perhaps it's kind of good for them when they're playing City who obviously you know way out in front in in the scoring stakes in the league that maybe they'll have a more bit more of a defensively solid option on on the right of defense uh on Sunday but yeah, it was much better performance, and it's um, as I said, it's kind of come at the wrong time for City. But the City will still be confident, you know. They'll, you know, especially with the form that Haaland's in, and um, yeah, I guess Liverpool are still lose uh, missing some of their better attacking players like Luis Diaz. Uh, he's one that's 
you know, has seemed to have quite enjoyed playing City, playing against City since he's arrived at Anfield. Um, so that's probably a plus for City that he's not going to be starting. But then, you know, they've they've still got quality players in the squad, as you said, like you know Harvey Elliott and Carvalho, the young the young lad, and Nunez obviously scored against City in the Community Shield. So it'll uh, it's definitely not going to be maybe the sort of easier game that some City fans were maybe expecting sort of a couple of weeks ago. I find it so funny how um, at the start of the season, the community shield was kind of meant to be the foreshadowing of who's going to have a better season, Nunez or Haaland. And then Nunez dropped off. Haaland just kept excelling, even though he didn't score in that community shield. It's so ironic how things have gone. But Peter, I'm going to bring you in here as well. I don't want to direct all the questions at Alex. I feel like it's not fair. FYI, Alex is our only guest today, (laughs) if you haven't noticed already. But speaking of which, like Nunez, Four got uh, three goals in four in four starts, or is it the other way around? I think it was four starts. I think it's three in four starts. Yeah, three in four starts. Yeah. So he's picking up his he's picking up the pace, and everyone keeps talking about there's a language barrier there, and he's gonna get better with time, and he's Liverpool's future, etc. He scored last night um against the Rangers as well, which was pretty good for his confidence going into this match. But can you see Nunez having an impact against um, City over the weekend, the same way he had against Rangers? I think it's really hard to say that any any attacker in the world is going to have an effect against um, against City because they tend to d- deprive opposition teams of the ball for so long that you know you could see Cristiano Ronaldo, you could see Haaland who's playing for Dortmund last year, you could see Ronaldo who's playing for Man United, world class attackers. They don't get a kick of the ball, you know. So it, strikers can get starved of service when they play against City because City you're going to have the ball for 70 percent of the time. That's just that's just a fact of life. That's just what happens when you play against City. Whether he can have an impact on on Sunday, I think it all depends on um, on how efficient he can be when those chances come his way. One of the great things that I've loved about Haaland, I don't want to get into a direct comparison between the two, but one thing, one of the things I loved about Haaland since he's come to City is that he generally scores, you know, is within his first couple of chances of the game, and it really puts things to bed. It's it's a dart. Uh, you know, a dart straight, a dagger in the heart of opposition teams. As soon as he gets a chance, first 10 minutes, first 15 minutes again, boom, and that's it, taken care of. And then cities tend to build a platform and go on from there. Whereas I think sometimes with with other strikers, and especially strikers like Nunez who have been criticised, they miss that first chance, or they miss those first couple of chances, and then the pressure builds, and then the stadium's on his back, and then you can hear the commentators saying, was he a flop, X, Y, and Z. And I think that... It, if he is going to have an impact, he needs to. Make, I think he needs to have that early impact on on Sunday. Um, that's the one thing about Nunez. But but long term, I feel sorry for him. Over the last few weeks, I felt sorry for Nunez because because of the impact of Haaland. Not only has he been an ordinary signing for Liverpool, let's say, but he's become a laughing stock. And to me, that's completely unfair because you know he's only had maybe. 18 months or so of Champions League football, uh, playing for Benfica in the Portuguese league, uh, you know, relatively untested at the highest level before that. Doesn't speak the language he comes to this country, replacing a club legend like Sadio Mane, really. And he ends up getting himself sent off in the first couple of games too. You know, somebody's really got to throw a a lifeline to to this kid. You know, and I, I do feel sorry for him because he's had to deal with the Haaland comparisons, the Mane comparisons, all the while trying to get up to speed with what Klopp wants. And you look at other signings that have come into Liverpool. I'm thinking of people like Andy Robertson uh, when he signed. Uh, 
it could take them absolutely ages to get into the team, let alone to make an impact. I remember Robertson was probably three or four months before he even started a match for, for Klopp. Whereas Nunez, because Mane's gone out the door and they're short of numbers up front, he's had to go in the team and make an impact straight away. And that's not always the way that Liverpool have operated when it comes to new signings. They usually let them, you know, blood into the into the system a little bit, whereas he's had to hit the ground running. So I think with a clear head, a clean slate, and the right kind of support and structure, not only from the from his teammates, but I think from from the club and 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 from the media as well in general, you know, not to judge this kid too harshly, then I do think he can go and have you know, a long, illustrious career with Liverpool because he's certainly got the raw material. I'm with you on that, actually. I feel like there's so much pressure on him to do well purely because Haaland is doing well, you know? Them two coming in at the same time, it didn't it didn't help anybody's career, in my opinion. It didn't help anybody. But at the same time, you do need that kind of, I want to say, competition to keep you going, you know? You want to you wanna be compared to Haaland. You want to be compared to Mane because you know you can be just as good as them. And I believe Darwin Nunez, given the time, and you're right, given the support, he can get to that stage. But, Alex, I'll bring you in here. The, I guess the reason why most teams are not really afraid of Darwin Nunez is not because of what he does in front of goal. It's more because... Does he really have the service to get him into dangerous positions? Is that Liverpool midfield something that City should be looking at, thinking, okay, we can exploit this midfield here? And is this a midfield that your you in particular can be scared of? Um, yeah, I think. Well, I think Liverpool's big issue seems to be just injuries a lot of the time. Like when everyone's fit, they do have you know a lot of quality, and obviously Thiago Alcantara is is the big name there and you know everyone knows in world football he's how incredible he can be Pep Guardiola is one of his sort of biggest admirers but over the last few years he just has had a lot of injuries obviously at Bayern and then and at Liverpool he's had quite a few as well um this season I think he's only played like three Premier League games hasn't he um but you know um is he is he going to be playing on Sunday I must admit I'm not uh I don't know if he's out or in at the minute, <laughs> but um, I think he played last night. If I'm okay, correct. well, obviously yeah. he's he's more than capable of you know setting up chances for anyone. But you are right. Some some games this this season for Liverpool. Um, I mean, obviously, I think it's a weird one because like comparing sort of City and Liverpool squads. I've, obviously, I think City have the better squad, but I wouldn't. It's not necessarily a bigger squad. They just seem to have a bit more quality when you sort of go look, look into the bench, whereas Liverpool, they had maybe one or two injuries in midfield. And all of a sudden, and no disrespect to these players, but a midfield free of, say, like James Milner, Harvey Elliott, and maybe either Fabinho or Henderson isn't isn't bad. It's better than a lot of midfielders in the Premier League, but it's not really going to rival City or Chelsea or Arsenal or like a Champions League, most big Champions League teams. It's... Um, it's just not really quite good enough for what they're trying to do. And, you know, the sort of levels that Klopp and and his players have set in recent seasons. And perhaps they probably should have sort of looked to, um, you know, re- rege- regenerate the midfield a bit in the summer. Um, but obviously they didn't. That's that's an issue to sort of look up maybe higher up in the club. Um, but they definitely have the quality there. And Nunez, yeah, he's had sort of quiet spells this season. He had the sending off and then the suspension. But, you know, as he showed last night, he is still a top striker. Um, and if Liverpool create chances, particularly against, you know, a City defence, which hasn't been perhaps as solid as it could have been this season, um, you know, 
if he gets chances, he's probably not going to waste them. So um, City definitely needs to sort of try and keep tabs on him. Um, and you know, he and he is. I, yeah, I think I think that the Haaland Nunez comparisons. It's just you know they're both such big, sort of unnatural looking strikers in a way. Like you know the, the, how they both move, how they both sort of act on the pitch. It's almost like you know you shouldn't you shouldn't be able to do this, but um, just the way that they run and you know what I mean. It's like I think. When, when, say, if Haaland wasn't scoring goals now, I think like he'd be getting the same treatment that Nunez has been getting, just because you know, in a way, they don't look like kind of. He's got that awkward you know, running style, doesn't he? He's not. Yeah, he's not, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think as soon as Nunez starts sort of hitting the net more frequently, I think all those sort of gripes will disappear because he is clearly a, a top player, and everyone knew that when he was at Benfica, and you know, we've seen it at Liverpool a bit as well. So yeah. He reminds me, you know, his style, actually speak about that style. Nunez, you know, if I'm squinting and a bit far back from the TV, he, he reminds me of Luca Toni. I don't know if you remember Luca Toni, the way mm. he moves, you know. It's it's that yeah. kind of all arms, you know, limbs moving independently one another. He, he really looks <laughs> like Luca Toni. <laughs> That's actually like quite that. a funny comparison. When you, like, move all the way back, <laughs> you kind of see it. You could kind of see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think they're both kind of, in that sense, they're both a little bit throwback, really, aren't they? Because mm. I think especially in the in the Premier League in recent years, we have become used to the sort of smaller, more technically gifted strikers, you know, like, like a Firmino, who's like a yeah. he's like a wall, isn't he, up there? You know, the mm. ball goes back to the midfield. He's quite it's been a while since we've had, you know, these sort of um, you know, like bad astute style killers in front of goal, mm. you know, who do yeah, exactly. nothing but score goals. Mm. It seems very sort of very sort of almost early 2000s kind of or 90s Premier League in a way. It's sort of like we've gone back to, as you say, these these big guys that, I mean, let's not pretend they're not technically incredible, but they do have sort of the way they move and the, how powerful and fast they are kind of and how sort of like the killer instincts in front of the goal makes you think of strikers of, the, of yesteryear rather than small te- technicians like, you know, a Sergio Aguero or or like a Luis Suarez or someone like that. Um, so yeah, it's um, it is really fun to watch. To be honest, I quite just enjoy. Even in the Community Shield, obviously it wasn't a good game for me, but there was something quite enjoyable about seeing Nunez just sort of like come off the bench. I think he came off the bench didn't he? and just sort of, but like throw himself around and then suddenly <laughs> just like score a header and like yeah, it's just this guy that's got no control, seemingly no control over his limbs, but just <laughs> just still somehow scored. So it's the same with Haaland, really. Yeah, people love people are attracted to goal scorers as well. You know, the the, the you know your casual fans, the general public. They, they, you know, you can you can throw all these xgs and passes completed and all that stats of people all day long. But what they want is is a, a guy or a girl in the women's game. They want somebody who can just put the ball in the net and you can celebrate. You know, all the time. And that that's why I think Haaland's been a, a major shot in the arm for a Guardiola team because it's been a while since he's he's had a player like this. I'm concerned because I think this has sort of been, uh, you know, the Haaland podcast up until now. I want to move on and talk a little bit about Arsenal because as things stand, they're, they're top right now, Arsenal. But people are, are, you know, sort of, you know, looking at them and waiting for them to falter, uh, to fall down. So people can say, it's like, ah, I told you so, it's Arsenal. They're definitely going to going to fail. But it's not happened so far. And I remember sitting there in this spot maybe two or three weeks ago and one of the guests said, you know, the next few weeks will tell a story because obviously they've got Spurs to play, they've got Liverpool to play, they just lost to Man United at that stage and it was like, okay, they've not beaten a top six team. Uh, the next few weeks are going to tell a story. Now we've come through that little spell 
well, obviously, we've still got um, uh, Leeds to play this weekend. They've come through that little spell of playing top six teams. They've taken six points out of six off Spurs uh, on off, off Liverpool. Surprise to you that they're still hanging with City um, after those particular fixtures, Alex? Um, you, maybe a little bit. I think I feel like it is a bit weird because everyone's talking about City sort of running away with it when, in fact, you know, Arsenal are a point clear at the top of the table. So it's um, it is an interesting one. Uh, I don't know because I I wouldn't I wasn't like say shocked that they beat Liverpool just given how the start Liverpool have had. Um, I kind of thought maybe. I wasn't so sure about how they'd got on against Spurs because obviously Spurs have had a pretty good, pretty decent start themselves. Um, but I don't know. It, they, they are looking sort of really good. Um, and I think it's one of the most telling signs, I'd say, is the kind of, the kind of it sounds a bit cliche, but kind of the, the spirit and togetherness because I feel like, say, the Liverpool game on Sunday, um, Liverpool pegged them back twice, I think it was. And you just can imagine Arsenal of a few years ago or even like two one year ago just kind of you know shooting themselves in the foot or capitulating um but you know obviously Arteta's been there a few years now but it does seem that now after a few years they have kind of got that almost just that sort of grit but also the technical quality to go with it so to play this incredible like really attractive football and score these great goals but then also dig in when they're pegged back or even if they fall behind and yes okay they they lost away at Man United um, and United put in a pretty good performance that, that evening, to be fair. Um, but yeah, you can't really argue with beating Liverpool and, and Spurs in, in the space of a couple of weeks. So um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'd still, I'd, I'd personally still back City to win the title, but I don't think, I don't really see Arsenal sort of, you know, drastically falling away, you know, whenever, you know, people, I think people, a lot of people just think, oh, they'll, they'll fall away at some point and they'll finish like distant second or even third. But I think, I don't know, the signs so far, unless they have a sort of a spate of injuries, which I guess is maybe the main concern because kind of like Liverpool, I don't think they have as much quality on the bench as say City or, or even Chelsea, to be honest. And I know Chelsea have had a bit of a rocky start, but they seem to be coming back to it now. Um, I don't think Arsenal quite have the right, the, the same sort of quality and depth. Um, so yeah, so I think they'll still be there for a while, but I think... Personally, I think in the end, City will will probably win, but um, I don't think they're going to fall away sort of immediately or anything like that. I hate... Do you know what? Actually, before I even go on to that, I was going to say, I'm actually with you here. I'm on the last podcast that we had um, when one of our guests said that, you know, expect Arsenal to fall away. I genuinely think that Arsenal might take it all the way to next year, maybe April, maybe May. We never know. But I still think, yeah, City's definitely going to win this league without a doubt, especially because Haaland's basically going to have a month rest <laughs> when everyone else goes off to the World Cup. That's just going to be a given that City is definitely going to go ahead and win this league at one point. But I do think Arsenal are in the running and it is a title charge for the both of these teams. But moving on to kind of what you said about their spirit and how, you know, they, they had kind of have this togetherness and, you know, Liverpool coming back twice in a match, you kind of expect Liverpool to go ahead and win that match at the end of it, or at least hold it out a draw. But Arsenal said, no, we're going to take it straight to them. They got their spirit up and Arteta's been doing a good job at doing this. But one person who came out in the news this week, I don't know how long ago this video was taken, um, but Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, and he was talking about Arteta and how 
he can't handle handle the big players he needs the young players blah 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 what did you kind of take from all of that when all of when that video came out did you did you have any comments on it um i don't know it just seemed a bit weird didn't it I, yeah i don't know it's especially as he's, just, he's obviously not there now and he's at chelsea um i mean i, I kind of just think the proof's in the sort of well maybe he was the problem i don't know like you know he's saying that arteta can't handle the big players well pal you're a big player and <laughs> obviously there'd been lots of reports in the past about Aubameyang's kind of conduct and you know the, the captaincy issue and um obviously didn't always get on with uh, Mikel Arteta so I, I kind of from my perspective will maybe take whatever he says as with a bit of pinch of salt uh but I mean I think the proof is kind of in the pudding with you know they're what they've, they've won seven was it one seven or one eight and lost one this season or something like that? Yeah. Um, so you know, won the, most of the games at top of the Premier League by a point, still above this city team that everyone seems to think is running away with it. Um, so you know, if he if this is a guy that can't handle a group or can't handle like good players, then he's it's not doing too badly, really, is he? <laughs> so I wouldn't really pay too much attention to what um, Aubameyang saying. He should probably just sort of focus on on doing his thing, which he kind of has, you know, he scored a couple of goals recently for Chelsea. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I don't know if was it a recent thing or was it? Uh, I think it was a couple so, of years ago. He was, he was in a jewelers talking to, talking maybe to a jeweler and his agent or something like that within a private video that's been leaked out. Um, mm. loose lips really. If you're, you know, you're just chatting to a jeweler. Because that he, was, kind of he was still with Arsenal a couple of years ago. So if it was a couple of years ago, he should not have ever been, I kind of get why Arteta did what he did now. Okay. So I, I kind of understand that. I was against it when, um, Arteta shot him out of the team, but if this did get leaked and if this was from two years ago, then I have to, commend Arteta for the way he handled this situation because you don't want that in your dressing room but Peter bringing you in do you, do you would you say um looking at this Arsenal team now Aubameyang could have been one of the issues that Arsenal was having in holding them back I loved Aubameyang playing for I love Aubameyang as a footballer in general I, think I love him <laughs> I think he's he's one of the best strikers ever to play in the Premier League and I, I love his style I love everything about him but I don't work with him at the end of the day, so I don't know. I don't know what he's like. But then you see the way that Mezzanotzel was moved on, um, and it is you know the proof is in the pudding on on the the way that Arteta wants his squad made up. You know he wants younger guys. Uh, you know he's given the captain's armband to Odegaard as a young player. Um, you know players he could he can mould. He can say do this, and he doesn't have people saying why. He's got people saying okay. You know, I think that's the big difference for somebody like Arteta. He's, you know, he's a hands-on coach. Um, and, you know, I think, like I say, the proof's in the pudding. You know, right now, Arsenal, you would have to say that they've, you know, they made the right choice. Would Aubameyang get in this team ahead of ahead of Gabriel uh, Gabriel Jesus? I don't think so. Would he get in this team ahead of Bukayo Saka based on, on how they're currently playing? I, I, I just don't think so. So then you know, you're probably left with this presence on the sidelines, somebody who's earning close to, what, 200, 200 grand a week, um, you know, kicking his heels or not in the match day squad. And I think Arteta made a calculated gamble in almost, you know, saying to Aubameyang, okay, we'll cut our losses on you. You can go join Barcelona, do what you like. At the end of the day, it was a very transitional team. He moved to Barcelona. It's not, it's not as if he, you know, really turned the dial there either. Um, and now he's at Chelsea. And, you know, probably you would say that his best days are behind him. Um, so... I would say it's advantage advantage Arteta in in that particular role. 
advantage after I actually snorted. <laughs> sorry, sorry. All right, cool. So let's let's just wrap up on Arsenal. Who are Arsenal playing this week? And I'm not too sure actually. The Leeds. Playing Leeds. Okay. Do you think Leeds can kind of stop or bring a halt to their kind of winning streak that they're currently on? It, are, can they do enough to kind of allow Man City to leapfrog Arsenal if they do end up beating Liverpool, Alex? Oh, don't you're asking uh, me. Oh, Peter, you can <laughs> jump in if you want to. If yeah, you I was want ready to. Answer. Okay, I was going to say, I do. I do. I do think Leeds can stop them. But I, every week I'm backing against Arsenal, you know, because I just think, <laughs> I just think one, one of these weekends is going to be the weekend where I say, yes, I told you so. They're not going to win it. I think, I think look, Leeds are, they're quite a resolute team. They're, they're quite, you know, they're not an exciting team under Jesse Marsh, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, they miss a lot of chances. Of Bam- Bamford's back in the team. Um, but he missed a few last week against Palace. Um, and I don't really fancy them individually, one-on-one, and they're defending. Um, people like Cooper would make mistakes. Um, Lorente, when he's in the team as well, is, is dreadful to make individual errors. Um, that said, I do think they're capable of big results, as they showed against Chelsea. Now, that was Leeds at their very best this season. And since then, we've not really seen them hit those particular heights. But I'm looking at the quality within the squad. Um, I'm looking at the individual quality in particular. I'm talking about American players like Tyler Adams and Brendan Aronson, who I think have probably been the two best players so far this season. And I do I do think that once they get their backs up and they have that resistance, that they're probably capable of getting a result against a team like Arsenal. Tough place to go. Alex, Alex, Alex bringing you in. Uh, bringing you in. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I, I just sort of back most of what Peter said. Really, um, I, I don't, I don't really see them. No, I, I don't think they'll stop Arsenal this weekend. Um, but if they were to, they would need like a kind of performance not to, unless you know Arsenal dropped an absolute stinker or something. They'd, they'd need to sort of get back to their the best that they showed against Chelsea um, a couple of months ago because they were they were just terrific that day. Um, but I don't know. I just I, I I just think Arsenal are just in that groove at the minute, and I think Arteta. You know, I think in past years people have sometimes questioned his kind of tactical decisions at times. You know, particularly like in-game ones where perhaps they've been in a certain situation, he's made the wrong choice or or something like that. Um, but I don't know. I just I don't really see Leeds sort of stopping them this this week. Um, yeah. And in a way, I kind of don't want them to because it's sort of quite exciting, isn't it? Just watching, you know, it's a shame that the the Arsenal City game um, isn't happening next week like it was supposed to because that would have been absolute sort of, yeah, that would have been great. That would have been premium quality Barclays um, right there. But yeah, it's um, obviously got uh, postponed due to um, Arsenal's Arsenal having a Europa League game. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't really see Leeds sort of Maybe it'll be a tough game for Arsenal, but I think they'll they'll come through it. Um, I I want to. I, I'm realizing time's got, got got away with us a little bit, so I want to close out. Anita, I'm going to come to you uh, on another uh, talking point uh, that's transpired this week, Alex. I'd be. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on this as well. I want to go to Anita first. I want to talk a little bit about um, Kylian Mbappe. So he signed a brand new contract in May. I, I stunned the football world by signing this contract. Nobody thought he was going to sign it. Everyone thought he was going to Real Madrid guaranteed. So it looks like a hundred million signing on fee um, signed until 2024 with an option until 2025 for God knows what money uh, every week or every month on the salary playing up front alongside Neymar uh, and a little messy. He gets to call the shots as a sporting director 
um, almost pick and choose which players he wants to come in and out of the of the club. Basically, he's had this club handed to him on a on a silver platter, and yet, and yet, what do you give the boy who has everything? He's unhappy. He doesn't want to be there anymore. He feels betrayed. He feels let down. Um, he wanted Neymar out of the club. He didn't go. He wanted different players in who didn't come. He doesn't like the coach. He doesn't like playing up front on his own. He's a little mourner, isn't he? Oh, I just... I, I get lost for words when I see things like this from Mbappe, right? Of course, right as it stands right now, it's all rumours. It's, it's Nothing's really certain. And I'm hoping that it just stays as a rumour and he comes out and says all of this is rubbish and PSG back that because... He, like you said, he's been given everything. What do you give a guy who literally has the club at the palm of his hands? He can close his hands and the, the club will basically crumble. He has too much power in this club to now say, I feel betrayed or I don't want to be at this club in January. What club What club is going to come in for him in January knowing that he's going to bring that kind of toxic vibe to their club? You know, it's a situation where you've got to look at it carefully. Yes, you're a talented player and you're probably like, after Ronaldo and Messi, definitely competing for a Ballon d'Or there. It's, it's clear, clear as day. But there's, there's a time and a place where you say, okay, enough's enough. And with Kylian Mbappe... Fans are now getting to that stage where they're looking at him and saying, it's enough. Like, please relax. We know you're a talented guy. Don't let your ego break your career because an ego can break your career. And then once no one else is supporting you, your deals go, everything goes. And you don't want that for Kylian Mbappe. When Mbappe came on the scene, I was such an admirer. I thought, okay, this guy, he's so humble. He's so fresh with the way he plays football. I loved him. And now I'm just... He's getting on my nerves. <laughs> He's getting on my nerves. He's irritating me. And I do hope that these are just rumours because I can't take another rumour of him wanting to leave after being given everything that he's asked for. You know what? Um, I don't know if you were there, Alex, but there was a night, um, the, the year that, that Monaco won the won the French title that played City in the Champions League. And I was there that night when, when Mbappe uh, scored. It was a crazy match. I think it was 5-3 or something um, at the Etihad. And Mbappe scored that night. And I remember watching him. And, you know, I'm not a religious guy, but it felt like that this footballer had been sent down from heaven. I, I really couldn't believe what I, what I was seeing from a guy who was, I think he was 17 years old at the time. And all I was hoping for at the time was, I hope what happened to or 9 Ronaldo doesn't happen to Mbappe because he's unstoppable. The only thing that can stop him now is a knee injury that takes his pace or, you know, something... I don't want to look back at, th at this guy's career in 10 years, 15 years' time and think, if only, if only, if only. I want to see him fulfil his potential and become the greatest. Because, like I said, I was all inspired by that night. Something touched me from Mbappe's performance that night. Um, and to see that maybe it's ego, you know? And as Anita says, when he came through, he seemed like such a, such a humble kid. Um, and if it's ego that's going to be his downfall, what a shame that would be. Sorry, I was on mute there. Uh, um, yeah, it's no, I completely agree. It's um, it's a bit surprising, really, because as you both said, like I think it was around. It's obviously sort of um, like sort of broke through in sort of 2016, 2017, and then obviously had the World Cup, scoring the World Cup final, and he did all these interviews with you know like Time Magazine, like Vogue, like GQ, and and he just came across so well in all of them, and just sort of a really grounded 
like grounded guy. Um, and you know, he's obviously got his um his humble beginnings in the sort of uh banlieues around around Paris and um and I don't know, he in the interviews I can't remember which one it was, but it sort of came up like what's what where do you go now? How do you progress? And he actually sort of said like, you know, I need to keep grounded and, you know, not sort of get above my station or or that kind of thing. But now if if these reports are true, um it's just yeah, it's it's kind of sad really. Um as much as someone can can feel sad for for either you know a footballer that's so like you know unbelievably rich and has everything in the world, or or a club like PSG that has everything that they could want, um, but it's I feel just sad for football <laughs> because I don't know yeah it's um, it just sort of just leave a bit of a bitter taste when you just sort of you know he's already playing in the league and committed his future to to PSG who. Really, he has already achieved, apart from winning the Champions League, obviously. You kind of want him playing in a league now, I think, as a neutral that, you know, where he's a bit more challenged, maybe. Um, and, you know, he's, I don't know, it's just, it, it just feels very sort of, for people like like you, Peter, when you, you sort of, you had this experience when you saw him at City and, and I was at, game, at that game as well. And yeah, it was just incredible. It was just this ball of just power and energy. And I've never seen like someone as young as that. Um, sort of almost take over an elite professional game before. Um, but now it just, yeah, as I think Anita said, the only thing that can stop him is himself. And it just seems that that is sadly starting to happen, but hopefully, you know, it sorts himself out or even if he ends up staying at PSG, it's just, it'd be nice if he didn't, if these, if, if his career didn't become this endless cycle of, you know, start transfer saga or saying he's unhappy or you know falling out with other big players because it's he's just better than that like he's he has such a unique gift that he just he just needs to you know just do his all his talking on the pitch like obviously it's a cliche but he just does because he's so good um but yeah it's it is a bit of a shame yeah you said it correctly you said perfectly there alex he just needs to do his talking on the pitch he's got more than enough talent to do it on the pitch you know he's a talented guy he's still in his early 20s i just hope his career doesn't run away with him the same way his ego is as it as it stands to be fair but again hopefully it's all just rumors we don't know we're all just speculating at the moment as to what's happening behind the scenes with mbappe and psg we'll definitely know in january whether he stays or whether he goes but we honestly thought that this podcast would last 30 minutes, but it's never a bore when you're with Peter and Anita, is it, Alex? Thank you <laughs> for, for joining us today, Alex, as our yes, one and only guest. Honestly, we appreciate it so much. It's been a nice conversation. But as always, guys, let us know if you didn't agree with any of our opinions. Make sure you get it in the comments. Make sure you even message one of us if you didn't agree with us, you know. Let us know. Alex has a bunch of stories coming out about Manchester City from the MEN. So make sure you go and follow, follow Alex and follow his stories coming out too. Um... I guess like subscribe all of that good stuff <laughs> for this podcast and we'll be back again next week thursday with some more juicy gossip in the footballing world